You've just entered the Disaster Tough podcast, the place for emergency managers, first responders, and humanitarians who want to get the job done. Stories, lessons, and tips are provided by field experts. I'm your host, John Scardina, owner of Doberman Emergency Management and former federal emergency response official who's responded to some of the most extreme disasters. Disaster Tough is our mantra. It combines experience, training, and analytics in order to be successful at any stage within the disaster life cycle. It means being a professional in emergency and disaster services. Doberman Emergency Management lives by this. If your organization needs to fill a gap, please contact us. We can help. Contact info is in the show notes. We also support other products and organizations that will increase your ability. For example, if you fight wildfires, hurricanes, a pandemic, any disaster in the field, at a hospital or command center, listen up. You're missing out if you do not use L3 Harris for your radio comms. They are secure, portable, mobile, and scalable, which is great news for us in the field. A truly disaster-tough radio system. Check out the XL family of radios by clicking on the show notes or simply go to L3Harris.com. When you think of situational awareness, you need to think of Futurity IT. They are disaster tough because they saw a gap and figure out how to close it by creating the Orion and Athena applications. Situational awareness is all about speed, coordination, and accuracy of information. Futurity IT's Orion app collects and provides preliminary damage assessments and integrates all incident action plan documents with WebEOC. The Athena app allows for planning, contact tracing, and customizable group coordination in every single phase of the disaster lifecycle. The best part? Futurity IT made both applications extremely intuitive. It's so easy to use. Click on the show notes today to schedule a free demo. Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode. Man, it's been a long time coming. I keep on reaching out to her, Margaret Larson. We went to Georgetown together. I have so had so many people from Georgetown. It's like a Georgetown show, I guess. But uh, you know, she really impressed me back then, talking about her experiences. And so I want our audience to hear all, all about her experiences. She was in the military. She's going to be talking about that. She switched over to emergency management. She has this wealth of knowledge that about that process and how that changed happened. Margaret, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And I do apologize for taking me this long to connect with you to get on this podcast. But I have been listening actively. And I said, Oh, my gosh, I have got to fit this in. I am <laughs> a little bit busy with different things going on in my life. Um, I tell my husband, I wear a lot of different hats. But I, I am thrilled that I was able to do this with you today. I mean, that sounds like an emergency manager life to, to begin with, right? Especially with this whole <laughs> pandemic right. thing, right? It's like, Oh, my gosh. Um, we were just talking, um, uh, you know, Craig Fugate was, uh, on the show last week and, uh, we were just talking how, um, you know, the, the, the waffle house index to open up waffle houses. Now we're calling it the, um, the toilet paper index. Are you one ply, two ply or three ply into the disaster? So yeah, I definitely understand. <laughs> it's been a, it's been a busy year. So it has been, and I am I am really impressed at how far you have come, John, in uh, running your own company now in the EDM field. It's really impressive, and I'm Thank been you. actively following you and your website and company and all the stuff you've been <laughs> into. So I think you have a lot to offer, and I really think that um, it's going to pay huge dividends for your customers and also for the people that you employ in the future. So thank you for doing what you do because. <laughs> 
it is a type of service. Well, now we can uh, end the show because that's the only thing I need to hear for today. So good episode, everybody. Welcome back. Okay. So let's talk about you though, because um, I remember that very first meeting I got in Georgetown, like I think it was like an info session even or something where we got to there and uh, there was like 10 of us or 12 of us in the room and uh, people are talking about their experiences and I felt kind of like a hot shot. You know, I was just like, all right, I've been doing emergency management for a little while here and working for a federal agency. I'm like, oh, hey, like, nice to meet you, Margaret. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, you know, what's your background? You're like, oh, I flew uh, helicopters for um, medevac for uh, special forces for nine years or something. And I was like, what? And all of a sudden I went from like feeling like the coolest guy in the room to feeling like this like loser um, so, so let's talk about some of your experience. I don't know if I even got the, the sure. t- title even right. L- let's talk about what you did in the military. Yeah, that is pretty accurate. And I, I have been impressed listening to these podcasts, John, at your memory, because <laughs> I feel like I put that entire year of grad school, like way at the bottom of the repository of memories <laughs> I have. And it was probably because I was pregnant and a stay at home mom and just getting out of the military. But um, I, I am impressed that you even remember that because I don't remember that at all. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I believe that to be accurate. Um, <laughs> it was actually funny because when I remember the question being asked when we got to Georgetown and I had such a dilemma. And I remember talking about it with my husband before I said, you know, do I introduce myself as a stay at home mom? Because that's what I was at that time. I had just left active duty military or do I introduce myself as a former uh, military service member? I stayed in the reserve, um, but I had done active duty for a long period of time. So that had been my life. So I think I, I came up with some combination of the two. Um, and I realized that, you know, being a medevac pilot in the Army was so formative to me and who I was at that point in time that I couldn't not address it when, I, when people said, who are you and what mm-hmm. do you do? Um, so I think that's probably why I answered it in that way. Uh, but for listeners who are a little less familiar with the military terminology, as we speak in acronyms, as you, I'm sure you all are familiar with as well, mm-hmm. uh, the medevac just stands for medical evacuation. So it's, uh, one of our systems of transportation in the military when, uh, someone is injured is air transport as I'm sure you all are well aware. And so I um, flew Black Hawk helicopters for about nine years on active duty. And I specifically was assigned the medical evacuation mission, uh, which was something that I wanted to do because I grew up with a very service-oriented family, uh, parents who were very involved in the community and always gave back. And so when I decided to join the military, I wanted to do something that I knew was going to be impactful every single time I got in the helicopter. Um, that, and I was also engaged to a, a future army doctor. So I said, we could be in the business of saving lives together. That's awesome. And that's what we have continued to do. Um, thankfully for the last, oh gosh, it, I'm almost at the 15 year mark, John, in the military. Oh now. my gosh. So, uh, five years still retirement. Um, so that's, that's how I got into medevac. And then I, like I said, I, served for nine years on active duty in the army and um, got off active duty and then transitioned to the army reserve and did a bunch of other stuff on the side too. So I I do not fly in the reserve anymore, Mm. but I always say that um, my, my 25 months that I spent in Afghanistan were the most, um, the best and the worst 
months of my life and up to the point where I had children. Uh, but even now that I have children, I would say that they are um, the most formative months of my life as well. So um, mm-hmm. I, I owe a lot of who I am today to the military and to my kids, motherhood. But, um, but it, it was really an incredible experience. And that's kind of how I thought to get into emergency and disaster management once I transitioned to the civilian sector. Uh, okay. You've had, you said a lot there that I want to address. So the first thing is now that I'm a dad and seeing how much work, I mean, I obviously had the respect before, but seeing, seeing it from like the, the firsthand experience of like how much work my wife has to do to like keep us all alive. Literally, she like literally saves our kids lives, like probably 10 times a day. And like, let alone just like the feeding and like sanitation, like everything else that goes along with it. I think anytime somebody says they're they're a stay-at-home mom, every single person in the room should kneel before them. Like, it's just (laughs) yeah. Well, they should do that to my wife, anyways, because she's just she's the greatest person that's ever lived. But um, female, males, obviously Christ. But uh, you know, like uh, it's just there's a ton of respect there, and everybody should respect you for being able to. Uh, put family first, and that that's a huge deal. So, hats Thank off you to you there. That. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No I think question. it's hard because you, um, in some ways, I think society doesn't necessarily value the role of a stay-at-home parent as much as they do someone in, you know, corporate America or someone with a career that they're pursuing. Um, but I think that there is huge value there. So I have gotten to the point where I'm really proud of the fact that I have spent four and a half years at home with my kids. Yeah. I've always had other stuff going on. Like I'm now <laughs> in my second grad school program while being a stay-at-home mom. So I feel like I'm like the lifelong student who just can't get, can't, can't be done with school. Um, but, you know, there's always other stuff going on. But I think being around for family is huge. And um, and I appreciate that you think that that's also a, a valuable cur- it, it is a, it's a vocation, right? It lets me yes. honest, like being a stay at home parent, being a parent is a vocation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just it is. A, a chapter in life. Yeah, you're right. And you know, the, the irony is all the data, I'm a big data guy, obviously all the data backs up stay at home moms produce wonderful people. Stay at home moms <laughs> so. are like the reason why, you know, uh, people don't go rob stores when they're, 16 right or it's because they're they're, it's like they call it the crossroads right like anytime there's a crossroads moment you have a great relationship with your mom or even with your parents dads are extremely important too and and society really screws that up but like when there's crossroads moments and you have good parents and they know they're there then they start making wiser decisions they they say like the first eight years of your life determine the last 80 and so, wow. like, yeah, it, like psychologically, the way you developed and the way you process information, the, you know, narcissism, which is, you know, a big thing for me because, like, that's active shooters is gross narcissism, yeah. um, that that condition. So, like, you know, like a lot of those factors uh, play into that, right. and uh, the data backs it up. So, good on you again for well, uh, for uh, for doing that. So, two quick yeah. points there. I actually I have a four and six year old now, so they they are in school whole time. Mm-hmm. But I was telling my six-year-old at the playground yesterday, um, it's time to make the hard right over the easy wrong because she <laughs> wanted to throw sand so badly. And I was like, you know, but I was there to say that to her. And that's mm. something I learned in the military. It's like, 
the right decision is usually the hard decision. So get used to that today when you're six years old, that I know you want to do this other thing, but that's probably the wrong thing because it's easy. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I also was going to say, you know, I was listening to um, a podcast recently, a different podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm offended. The disaster I'm offended. Um, <laughs> it's a parenting one. So unless your oh. ears start going that way, which it might after today's episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was listening to an episode and the, the parents on it basically said, um, you know, uh, discipline without relationship yields mutiny. And I said, gosh, mm. is that not life, right? That's leadership, right? If you have not, if you don't have that EQ and the DQ to get to know your people, right? To get to know who you're working with, your peers, your supervisors, your subordinates. Um, and you can't really figure out who they are at the core. And then all of a sudden you want to discipline them. Like that's going to yield some sort of discontent, right? Whether it's a complaint, whether it's, you know, mm. the person not wanting to work with you anymore or your kid, you know, getting into something they shouldn't be getting into because you've told them that they have a curfew now, you know? So yeah. I think that's so relevant to life. Um, that mm. relationship is really what everything is dependent on. And I know EDM community really stresses that too, right? It's like the networks of people and, mm. you know, knowing all the organizations who are at play and how can we gain relationship with all of them so that we can all be on the same page, but also be moving toward mission accomplishment. Okay, real talk. This is not the uh, theme of today, so we got to get you back on to do this. But we should have an entire episode of comparing parenthood and, and lessons of leadership to leading organizations because you get some of these people in the field who are especially really, really new and like they're like blue-eyed, bushy-tailed, like they have no uh, no idea what's going on and and that happens. Either they, they build resentment or they, they start to fall in line and, and great leadership knows how to do that. Um, Absolutely. And you know, they, they say the, the best thing they can do, this is going to get really dark really fast, for sexual assault like the number one thing that they found was that um, a woman should talk to if if it's a man and a woman you know incident the woman should talk to him as if she's his mother. You know you're in timeout. Do not do that. Blah blah blah. And like that 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 messes with them more of of that shocked and you know, then get away from that situation as fast as humanly That's possible. Happening. But yeah, it's just really fascinating. Like the the role of motherhood and um, gosh, we we should air this episode on Mother's Day. Um, so <laughs> sweet. All right, let's get into like the the military stuff because uh, that's kind of what we got you on the show. All right, so military experience, army, medevac, uh, living yeah. the dream. Super. I started slinking down because again, I'm like you're like putting me in my place here. Oh my so, god. So <laughs> now that you're like way cooler than me, um, let's talk about this. So that was a good look for the show. Um, okay. So let's talk about Afghanistan, 25 months. Sure. What were the, uh, again, we recognize that like, um, we don't want to make light of the military experience and or the, the situation that military people uh, are, are forced to be in. So we're grateful for your service, of course. And uh, we're grateful that um, you're protecting U.S. interests. I'm a huge fan of the U.S. So go USA. Go yep. Um, so that being said, what are some experiences that were career defining or individually defining sure. for you that you'd be willing to share on the show? Oh gosh, I was trying to think through some of these yesterday on my drive to my other job. Um, and 
it's fascinating how fast this stuff comes back to you. You know, like when you aren't in it, not thinking about it every day, you kind of just let it go. And then you want to answer an intentional question like this. And you're like, Oh my God, this stuff just kept pouring into my head. Mm. Um, like almost every mission is, um, a relevant and extremely emotional experience. I think while I was over there, it was two different tours that I, I did in Afghanistan, about a year long each. Um, I was with a team of about a hundred uh, soldiers that were just, you know, the cream of the crop. And that's one of the things you learn in these fields, DDM and the military, um, is that you are with people who show you there is no limit to human capability, right? Like mm. you could be in the suckiest of the suck and then all of a sudden they rise above, right? And an example yeah. of that is um, my platoon was called to evacuate a soldier who had stepped on a landmine. Um, and he actually is the fifth surviving quadruple amputee um, from the Jeez. war in Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, we arrived at the point of injury where we, where he actually, where the bomb went off um, to pick him up and on the aircraft on the way to the hospital. And he has four limbs missing at this point, right? He turns to the medic and he says, are my guys okay? Right? Like how just mind blowing is it that someone in that extreme condition could think beyond himself to other people, right? And that's like selfless service wrapped up in one phrase, are my guys okay? Mm. Um, and so, you know, we had a lot of defining moments like that, but most of them um, either relate to, you know, how to make a decision yeah. uh, with very limited information in a very chaotic situation, you know, whether that's bullets flying or dust storms, you know, Afghanistan's terrain is um, it's just really treacherous in so many different ways. Uh, and the dust was one of the huge hazards we faced. Um, so, you know, figuring out how to get the mission done, but evaluating all of the inputs with very limited time <laughs> and very limited um, data, right? Like, yeah, that sounds like emergency management. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had I had one crazy mission I wanted to share with you. Um, I have had the privilege of serving alongside my sister in the military. Oh, I didn't know that. Alongside my, yes, yep. She actually joined the army before I did. She was part of my inspiration. And we didn't come from military family, so it's kind of funny <laughs> that both of us ended up in the military. But yeah. I've also had the privilege of serving alongside my husband and uh, my cousin, mm. who is like a brother to me. And I will say one of the defining moments uh, of my second tour in Afghanistan was um, I, I had set up a medical evacuation site at a very remote base um, on the border of Pakistan. And my cousin was actually deployed at the same time with me and we were at that same base together and he is an infantryman. Um, and he, it was our first day at that site. We had never run huh. missions out of that location before. And he said to me that night, Hey, you know, we got a, we got a big mission going on tomorrow. We're going to go try to capture this high value target. And I said, okay, good. I'm going to let my guys know in case anything happens. 3am we got our first medevac call 
And it happens a lot like um, it would in, you know, a fire station, right? Call comes in, you're like, hey, it's an urgent mission. Someone's life's on the line, get in the helicopter. We have 15 minutes to get off the ground from when the, um, the mission comes down for an urgent mission. And that being said, helicopters take a little while to spin up. <laughs> so we got in the aircraft and the whole time I was thinking, please let this not be my cousin, right? Because I had no idea if he was the one in, engaged with the enemy, if he was doing security, whatever. Like, I didn't know a name. I just knew there was a patient that had to get picked up. Um, and thank God it was not my cousin, but it was one of his friends. And my cousin was pulling security for that mission. And it was a really bad mission. Like, there was a lot of stuff going down. Um, but we got that that guy back. He had been um, shot. And... And he survived. And then my cousin ended up back at Fort Hood with him a, a few months later, you know, and mm. um, had a drink and toasted to our crew. And it just, it just kind of made you realize like the cycle mm. and the circle of circle of life, if you Jeez. will, that exists, you know, in these communities, like everything is so interconnected. Um, and that was really defining for me because it made it so, it made the risk touch home. And it also made it worthwhile like it made that had i not been there like had our crews not been there if it was my cousin like i would have had to just trust that someone would would have gotten him right so it made you really realize the power of um your own decisions as a person a human being um and also how close things can get and i know i i listened to some of your podcasts specifically the one with eric um and talking about you know how how close to home EDM is, you know, how, how much it touches you as a person. And I think that that's a defining characteristic of the military as well. Yeah. That reminded me of, um, it was the New Zealand earthquake. Uh, so I lived in Japan a few times as I've talked about a little bit on the show. Don't talk about it too much, but, um, somebody I was really close to in Japan moved to Christchurch, New Zealand and um that's where they had the earthquake and they passed away in it and it was just like man like um like that was a big deal and then the the earthquake tsunami in japan happened and like everybody knew who was impacted by that and that's that's what changed the course for me i was had i'd been a volunteer i've been helping out with like whatever i was like this is going to be a career field for me now and so like right. um for like the last 10 years now 10 years yeah i've been pursuing the only course of mitigating disasters and um it shows it's like um like this stuff like that it does hit home really really close and um like i think that's why i think that's the the breakout between the two types of emergency managers i was just talking about this with craig of like you have the the armchair like we're the irs of disasters we're gonna just somebody a paycheck they have no idea what they're doing and then you have the people who've had real world experiences and you're like, it's about helping people. How do you help people? And those, those do cross, right? Like it is sometimes it's about resources sure. for sure. Right. But like, yeah, it's like the personal experience is, is so incredibly important. That being said, for any of those listeners who do not have a disaster under their belt, don't like just walk into the path of a tornado. Uh, we're not suggesting that, but try to find some experiences where you can, where you can deploy, where you can help out people. Right. So really there are some wonderful nonprofit organizations that allow for volunteers, you know, Red Cross, Team Rubicon, um, 
that that will let you, you know, experience disaster management or like response in a more protected or guided way than you just going on your own and responding to the tornado. Well, that, that's like what uh, that's like what uh, I did with Red Cross before uh, 2011 is like, that's right. yeah. um, I would go out there and, you know, they do do damage assessments so, like uh, Salvation Army is another really great one. Uh, there's obviously religious groups that, that do that, too. And so like, there's all these ways to be able to interact and be able to help out that whole community approach. Um, yeah. So really. So there's like. There's a lot of correlation then. I mean, you kind of just brought this up, right? A lot of correlation between the military service and the um, the emergency management uh, realm or even emergency services realm. And so can you share some experiences from your army background of, hey, this was a lesson I learned there that ties into emergency management? Sure. I actually have a few lessons that I think are like... Oh, sweet. Hold on, hold on. I am with both. I did my research, John. I told you to get nervous. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Ready? Oh, um, we're, <laughs> we're applauding you now. So that's exciting. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so I think you talked about this on another podcast as well about communication, right? Like I, I teach a, a class over at a Methodist university as my army job. And um, I start off day one by saying communication is the hardest thing we do, right? And I, mm-hmm. I thought that was like unique to the military until I realized that was not. It is life. Like communication yeah. is the hardest thing we do. If you can define something, a, a mission, a task, whatever it is, and have it trickle down to the lowest level and have them gain understanding, like that's a failure of leadership, right? Um, so communication is one of the lessons I've learned in the military that trickles to everything, specifically EDM, because chaotic situations require more robust methods of communication, but Mm. also sometimes limited communication um, in certain situations, right? So being able to operate with what the military calls a commander's intent, right? Mm. So you give your your teammate the intent for the day, Mm. and then they should be able to operate within that, right? Like left and right limits. Um, Another thing that was a defining uh, lesson for me in the military is that service requires sacrifice, right? Mm. And I see emergency and disaster management as a service profession. And that's the whole reason why I wanted to get into it when I left the military. Um, I said, gosh, how can I find a civilian job that compares with being on the battlefield, evacuating wounded soldiers and saving lives, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, let me pursue this EDM career and so i think service inherently has an element of sacrifice in it and you and eric spoke about that a little bit too in the sense that you know like you're leaving your family for periods of time right you are undergoing mental and physical stresses that you would not be undergoing if you worked at google or some other you know corporate organization or very all those people you just offended all those techies that i've been working so hard on this coding yeah. An example, any work from home or work from the office. Yeah, um, it's different. Job, right? Uh, but yeah, service inherently includes this element of sacrifice. Um, and then the mm. other thing is that everyone's a leader, right? It, you may not be tasked with being the leader in some disaster, but you are going to have the opportunity to make a decision. Yes. You're going to have the opportunity to get to the mission accomplishment. Um, to get to yes, 
And I think empowering people to know that and then also training them the right way um, so that when they, they do have the ability to exercise their leadership, they are doing it in very um, defined and uh, bounded ways, meaning like within the boundaries of the law and, mm. and ethics. Um, I think that's really important. So I guess those are my, my big takeaways from my military career that I would apply to EDM. That's that's perfect, man. Remind me of a couple principles myself. Uh, recently heard that um, I teach people correct principles and let them guide themselves. Micromanagement doesn't do good for anybody in any industry, yeah. especially in emergency management. Um, yeah. I'm sure in military as well. At the same time, you have to have really clear direction and really clear understanding. Uh, yeah. When I used to struggle with the idea of everyone's a leader, and I realized. For, for me personally, you become a leader in every situation by how you respond to either direction or how you respond to a mission. And I'm not talking about brown nosing. I'm not talking about being a fanboy or whatever. I'm talking about, I was given a set of tasks. I'm going to do my absolute best. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to like whine about it. I'm not going to say, hey, I had to stay awake for 40 hours to get this job done. I'm going to take a lot of pride in that. And the more pride you take in like how like the work that you do, it triculates through the people around you. Like, oh, you know, sometimes it triculates through this for the wrong reason of like some people are like, oh, I can't keep up. Well, you suck, get out of the way anyways. I don't care. But like most of the time it triculates to, oh hey, I want to do my best too. Like this guy's on board, I want to be on board. And as soon as that happens, you've become a leader. You you're now influencing other people. As soon as you start influencing other people around you, you're a leader, right? Absolutely. Um, and, and I think what's important, I went back to the army's definition of leadership yesterday. Um, and it's providing purpose, direction, and motivation, right. To inspire and influence people. And what is EDM, right? Providing purpose, direction, <laughs> and motivation to save lives, limit property damage, yep. and prevent human suffering. I mean, like it's that, that's basically in essence, what EDM is, is mm. army leadership. So, um, it, it obviously applies. <laughs> <laughs> well, like that, I mean, that kind of explains why, um, le- like on the civilian side. So full disclosure, I didn't join the military because I shattered a femur and when I was 16. And so like every time I went to a recruiting office for like, thanks man, but no thanks. Yeah. Um, but like, um, as a civilian, somebody who couldn't serve in the military at the time, you know, that, that, that was not a reality for me. I thought, how do I serve my country? And so, um, I said, okay, I'm going to do four years with the federal government. That was my original goal. That was like how I was going to fulfill that. Uh, it's kind of a, a weird thing, but so that, that's what I did. I, I, I found jobs in the federal government as an emergency manager where I felt like I was helping out my country. And, um, in that process, like I found like a lot of really interesting parallels including the fact that the civilian organizations do act like pseudo-military groups. There is a reason why a lot of military personnel move over. It's a, it's a reason why uh, the, National, the National Guard and the, and the Coast Guard, really the Coast Guard, focus really heavily on ICS because they do a lot of humanitarian missions. The Army does a lot of humanitarian missions. Right, absolutely. The, yeah. the, the largest humanitarian group in the world is not the UN, it's the United States military. Right, uh, which is awesome, by the way. 
Um, again, go USA. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna like start playing the Star Spangled Banner here in a second. But oh, nice. uh, <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. So um, let's talk about that progression then, because you are not, you're flying helicopters like you're. Be- I can't say that word. You're you're so hardcore in like what you're doing. By the way, talk about life saving the most extreme situation possible. Um, okay, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna like change thoughts here real quick. We're just gonna do a real quick thought on that. The emotions of doing that. So you're in this situation. There could not be a more extreme situation you could possibly be in. As like I'm gonna fly in in the most da- like you're not only working with the cream of the crop who are actually are going after like the baddest of the bad. I mean, why, why by that I mean evil, right? And you're not surrounded by happy people, and you're going in there to pull them out, and you're not there to kill every but all the bad guys. You're actually there just to help. What is the emotion of that situation? Did you have like a oh, like holy crap moment the first time, or did it hit you again later on? Like how? What is that like? Sorry, I I'm just really curious. There's moment. nothing to do. <laughs> no, yeah, that is a great question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, the holy crap moment kind of comes the second you step foot uh, on a base overseas in a combat zone, knowing that people are actively trying to kill you, right? I mean, you could live your entire um, deployment on the base, but people are still shooting rockets at you, you know? So you're not safe anywhere. And I think that that is, that is a really hard place to be in and to accept. Um, for the next 12 months, I'm going to be in a place where I am not safe. Um, and I had a friend tell me recently, she wakes up every day and she says, you know, I wake up and say this mantra, I, I am safe and I have been loved every single day of my life. And I said, gosh, what a beautiful place to be in. And I realized that like, I could say that same exact thing to myself, except for the 20, 25 months. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is it is a really emotional place to be in. I, I did, I mean, I'm, I'm a religious person, so I did a lot of praying. Um, mm. That got me through a lot of it. Uh, the people that you are with, like you mentioned on that episode with Eric, Hope and Cell, um, mm. you know, the people you are with and, and just becoming a family is also a huge dimension to it because you don't have access to your family. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are some really, really emotional, um, emotionally turbulent times that you have to figure out how to resolve when you come home. And you know, for me, a lot of it's been staying busy and not thinking wait, about it. Wait, but... did you just say emotionally turbulent? Was that a helicopter pun? That you just said a helicopter pun? <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> it was, uh, it was really spinning around my emotions. Really, uh, <laughs> Oh my god! Mess with my gears there. Yeah, Yeah. sorry. It is interesting, like when, and you probably realize this too, like when stuff hits you. I was reading a book. The fan, the helicopter fan. Well, yeah, I was reading a book recently about um, had little vignettes about um, people's service. It's called "Walking My Combat Boots" by James Patterson. And man, I was three vignettes in, and I was in bawling because all it did was spark all of the stories that I had not yet told or written or Mm. um, thought about in years. So, you know, and, and people in the EDM community have similar experiences. And I think what happens with our lives as Americans is we get too busy to deal with it. We just say, let's just push that and keep going and add something else to our plate. And we don't have to deal with figuring that out, right? Like we don't have to go back. And I think it's really important, like you said in that episode, you know, to, 
to do the deliberate healing process. Um, yeah. Even if like, like I feel like you kind of have to be made for it. Like, um, like I've shared a few times about like helping out USAR guys, knowing that they're going in direction A, and I know that in direction B, there's still bad things happening, hurricane, whatever, and that those people will be impacted, and nobody's helping them. And you know, like, uh, yeah, it, like logically, even emotionally, like I feel like I'm good with that. Like I can be okay with my decisions, hundred percent. But I understand that there is a physiological reaction to even be able to process extreme things. And so, yeah, you're talking about like that bond that happens. Um, military is a whole other, a whole other aspect, but you know, when you're going for on any project where you're away from family, away from everybody, you know, and you're trying to do life saving, life sustaining work, it takes a toll. And it's nice to be able to talk to people where you don't have to explain it or they're like, Absolutely. I don't, I don't really get it, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah. No. You build a team through shared experience and shared hardship, right? And that's the military and that's people working on disasters. Um, those two things just like, they, they totally take over that experience. So shared experience yeah. and shared hardship. Um, but it, you really come out with a great group of people. <laughs> yeah. I will say this for all those emergency managers listening to this show who put out requests for proposals. Now that I'm on the private side, that hardship that I had to go through with my team of filling those out, you suck. That is not the kind of hardship we want to deal with. Sorry. <laughs> I, just, I, I hate proposals. Now. <laughs> Gosh, I hate proposals so much, but I want the work. So please hire us. I don't know. That, that was a, kind of a weird pitch. <laughs> yeah. Quotes are better than proposals. Okay, so sorry, you're sharing like the super. I'm so immature. I'm emotionally stupid because I'm like, oh, she's sharing this really. Sorry, I'm the worst. So that's that's really interesting, really interesting and fascinating. Those, so, yeah. So, um, thank you for sharing that seriously. And it's true, like the mental health aspect of of the work we do. If you're in the military and you're listening to this right now, and you have a bond with people who have that shared experience, you need to talk to them. If you're in the military or if you're in emergency management and you don't have that, you should find somebody to talk to, uh, a professional or otherwise. It's not weak. It's actually being tough. It's the tough decision of saying, you know, you don't know everything. There's only a couple people in the world who know everything. My wife is one of them. I'm quickly <laughs> becoming like that. Um, she is. She's the smartest person I know. It's it's I'm not even a... to this episode. <laughs> yeah. No, she doesn't. She's smarter than me. She she doesn't need a she doesn't need to get advice on the show. But um, yeah, it's it's true. Like big fanboy there. So okay, um, let's let's do talk about those tie-ins real quick. So we've we've mentioned some of them. As as I've mentioned before on the show, like with first responders, military personnel, it is a natural progression to to go into emergency management. However you are not a qualified emergency manager by coming onto the show or, or sorry for, for coming onto this, this field, right? Um, you're not automatically qualified. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you are qualified for coming on. If, if you're on the show, then you've made it. That's that's okay, good. yeah. Thank, thank goodness. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we edit that out? I don't know. Um, but like, you're just not automatically qualified. Like Bro Brock long, this is perfect. Cause you're a helicopter pilot. Brock Long on the show said, if I'm in the National Guard and I fly helicopters 
and I want to go in emergency management, that's not makes me qualify. Just like an emergency manager is not allowed to go to the National Guard and immediately start flying helicopters for them, right? As a helicopter pilot who's moved into emergency management, what are some of the transferable skills and what are some things that would help somebody if they're looking to switch um, fields? I'm going to defer back to um, a different definition of leadership. I am in grad school again, and we take a lot of leadership classes. So I'm going to go back to another leadership definition. Leadership is both an art and a science. Mm. The military, for someone looking to evolve into the emergency and disaster management field, the military provides you with a lot of the art, right? It doesn't necessarily provide you with the science. I love that. It provides you with decision-making skills, risk management, acceptable risk, figuring out what the acceptable risk is. You know, it, it provides you with the ability to give intent, to lead, to do all of those things that fall on that art side. Right. Um, But what it doesn't give you is the full range, comprehensive study of emergency management. And that's why I really encourage people to do formal study, whether it's a um, certificate program, a degree program, undergrad, graduate, taking SEMA courses, um, whatever it is. You can't be great at anything if you can't figure out a way to incorporate the experiential learning part with the actual study of it, the book knowledge. Mm. Um, And that, that really pertains to most subjects that exist. So I would say the military is great in providing the foundational art and uh, formal study or even tutelage. Like you get it. So say you get a job in FEMA right out of the military. That's great. Getting a mentor, figuring out how to grow your experience and your, um, your knowledge horizontally across EDM before you grow vertically, I think is huge. You you had this problem that uh, a problem set that I don't know if you you really dove into too much with us, but it bothered me at the time, and I've run into this with some other friends who've had the same issue. You were in a climate of extreme, whether it's actually flying in dust storms or flying into saving people's lives, and yet because of local regulation. Uh, this is kind of this is kind of a different take on what you're going with, but um, you would not be qualified to fly as a medevac pilot for a hospital in the United States. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's um, messed up. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's wait for it, wait for it. Yeah, that's that's a stupid. That was dumb. Uh, emotional intelligence. Okay, so what's up with that? It's mostly because of the civilian certifications, right? There's testing requirements. I'd have to get a license to fly rotary wing within the United States. And the military has its own training program, right? So stuff, that's a good example. Like just stuff sometimes just doesn't translate. Like my experience might be enough for me to fly on the civilian side for a hospital, for instance. Um, but maybe my hours wouldn't, wouldn't actually hit their limit. Or maybe my license wasn't. Um, what I needed to have. So, um, yeah, it is, it's interesting. It's like experience translates, but sometimes the civilian sector has its own thresholds for what they want to see. Yeah. Um, unfortunately like combat experience is very different than like tour helicopter flying experience. So people don't rate them differently. Like one hour of flying in combat 
is equivalent on the civilian sector to like one hour of flying a, a patient transport mission from a hospital to a hospital in the state, you know? Um, mm. So it's just, it's just different. It's not bad or good, but screw it. I'm going to say it's bad. Um, you're bigger, bigger, more polite than I am. I've, I've met a lot of people who have the qualified position now emergency management. You're not necessarily always qualified for that position, but as a guy who's a huge fan of getting military personnel jobs in the States, like there needs to policy makers need to do much better of like, uh, of melding the transferable skills, the law of transferability. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago is an economics term, right? For all those listeners. It basically says you don't you don't have a hundred percent to a hundred percent, but if it's flying helicopters, I feel like you're you're flying helicopters either way. Like, but if you're walking into an EOC and now you're in charge of air ops, right? I'm just trying to get like a close close realm here because you sure. flew helicopters doesn't necessarily mean that you understand the TFR, the temporary flight restriction process that happens between all these federal and state agencies and local responders and a wildfire, right? So like, I love the idea of getting a mentor. I love the idea of learning. In terms of leadership, uh, I'm gonna call out another book that I like a lot, Love Him or Hate Him. Um, General Mattis has a book on yeah. leadership. Uh, like It's called Call Sign Chaos um, from Mad Dog you know, Mattis or whatever was the, the true name of the book. but. Um, he doesn't really get into like the whole, his whole political side of anything. He just talks about, I mean, so much of what he did was about reading different books. And so he'd talk about experience. He'd talk about all the books he read to be able to, to prepare for that. And he goes through experience after experience. And you literally just did that, right? Like you named a book and you're like, I'm doing this right now. And so like just being well-read and like always learning, uh, I, I think is a, is a great call out there for sure. Yeah. You know? So in terms of, the the difference in terms of like okay like you, you got to get a mentor you got to whatever can you talk about the the top three things that if I'm in the military right now uh oh yeah top three things that you would do right now to be able to start to switch over from military to civilian okay I thought this was going in a different direction so oh like what's the, the direction <laughs> I'm curious what's the direction no it's good it's good. no what's three, the direction three things ready for the other one so. oh, okay um, no so uh. If someone in the military is looking to transition to the emergency disaster management side, is that what you're saying? Yes. Like top three pieces of advice? Yep. That, okay. Um, I would take advantage of all the military education benefits you could possibly take advantage of. Mm. The GI Bill and the Yellow Ribbon Program are your best friends. Um, I tell people all the time, my husband and I are worth now almost $2 million worth of education. Um, to the U.S. taxpayer. Thank you, guys. Woo! Oh, I support that. The, the education benefits that came with our service, right? I mean, they come at a price. We we have served um, our nation and the military for a very long period of time, 30 years for both of us together. Mm. Um, but it also comes with benefits that you should absolutely capitalize on. So please seek out formal education and use your GI Bill to go and do that. The best perk about it is I'm actually going to college again right now at a pretty reputable school, Duke University, and I'm getting paid to go. Um, my tuition's covered, and I'm getting paid to go because of your housing stipend. So please, please, please use your GI Bill. Get some formal education. And you can do that while you're also volunteering in the emergency and disaster management field. I highly recommend 
getting in with an organization. Team Rubicon's a great one that has um, really geared its mission toward transitioning veterans who need to find a home. Mm. Um, not like a, a physical home, but like a home. A <laughs> we get it, yeah. Career home, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, oh gosh, what else would I say? Uh, I, I would guess I would defer back to that mentorship thing, right? Like find someone who has done this already and then figure out what lessons they learned along the way that you could avoid mm. um, the pitfalls of. And, and whether that's, you know, someone in a program with you or, you know, someone you've served with previously who now works in some maybe small way in the EDM um, field, I would say do that. I actually, it's, it's really cool that you are having me talk about this subject because one of my absolute favorite soldiers, um, a soldier I served with in Afghanistan, a flight medic who got recommended for the Medal of Honor, who wow. had a Purple Heart. He just graduated from, he, he got military, uh, medically retired. He just graduated with a bachelor's in emergency and disaster management. Hey! in Texas and is trying to get into this field. So the other, I guess I, I should have said this instead of the mentor, but network, right? Mm. It, it has been studied and shown that less than 15% of job offers come from online applicants. Yep. So find people in the community, mm. whether that's people you serve with, people you meet at a store, at an airport, right, John? <laughs> and figure out a way to connect with them professionally yeah. so that you have those networks when you're done with the formal training. But you will likely find a job through your networks before you ever find one online. What's the name of the first name of this guy that you just mentioned? Jose. Jose? Get yeah. to, tell Jose to send his resume to me and we'll look at a, a job at Doberman. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, in fact, we're, we're hiring some people right now. So... Um, yeah, network. He just networked on the show for this guy. So, Jose, we'd love to see your resume. Care of people, right? Yeah, it's all about taking care of people. It is, and the right people who do the right thing. So, um, that's huge. Well, let's 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 switch over then a little bit because we're talking about career experiences. You're working at a company called <laughs> I gotta look at this Horizon something, right? Oh, Horizon that's so bad. Strategy. Horizon yeah. strategy. That was not a very good strategy for me. I not to know the complimenting your memory. Earlier. I know. Gosh, dang it. That's the worst. I gotta take it back. Let's rewind. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's. Uh, do you have a hot button for that? I do. Hold on. It's like, ouch, chow. Okay, that was really <laughs> stupid. Um, that was really dumb. I haven't done that one since like. Uh, anyways, so yeah, the edit. We're actually not going to edit this. It's going to be really funny for people listening in. Okay, so uh, Horizon. Hey, uh, Margaret, can you tell us about uh, what you're doing now with Horizon Strategies? You bet. Um, <laughs> that was a really stupid you, part. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, talk about a botched. So Horizon Strategies is a really wonderful uh, organization that I moved after my kids started going back to school um, more full-time. And they predominantly work in the government DOD sector. Um, they, we are a service-disabled small veteran. Uh, or, oh, my gosh. S-C-V-O-S-B. However, that acronym <laughs> plays out without me thinking through it. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um, and we basically provide professional services. So whether that's strategy planning, event planning, um, exercise design. We have a, an 
incredibly gifted group of um, employees and bench teammates, we call them, which are people who, mm. you know, our roster of experts, um, highly qualified experts that we can, you know, ping and, and get on contract at any given time. Um, and mm. they range from former DCOs in FEMA regions all across the United States, uh, that's defense coordinating officers, and um, also people who are like, well, for example, former ambassadors or retired generals in the military. So mm. we have experience from um, the Department of State through the DOD predominantly, and we really dive into the strategy that the DOD uses and that we have developed. We, we call we say like the DOD is one of the greatest leadership institutes in the entire world, right? And we take yeah. the experiences within that organization of our teammates and we can provide them to corporate academic institutions and also um, other governmental agencies. So we are trying to evolve into the contingency planning, um, emergency and disaster management sector. Uh, like I'll throw another name out there, McChrystal Group has done. Um, mm. When COVID hit, you know, they, they really evolved into um, from like management and leadership consulting into contingency planning, mm. um, which is, I know is also a lot of what you do, John, with uh, Doberman. Yeah. So maybe we can work together. Someday. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Yeah. So Doberman's, Doberman's an interesting um, uh, company because we have really evolved as well. And what I found for us is we, we always kind of want to stay specialized, right? So everybody who works at Doberman has response experience. Everybody, everybody here has, whether it's, you know, Jose can join us soon, but, uh, so far it's like, it's everybody who has like emergency management response experience. They know what it's like helping people firsthand. And so we don't really do like butts and seats kind of stuff, but what we do is like, Hey, we can mitigate risk. We're really great with data. We're really great with helping people out. We're really great at like addressing gaps and overcoming those. And so I, and, and the, the funny thing about emergency management is like, there's always more work to be done than there are groups, especially now. Like yeah. the the market is wide open, and um, the the problem comes when uh, people see that and they're incompetent. And I mean competent, like they don't have that training skills or experience, formal education uh, to back right. that up. But if they do, like if you're pulling in, like if you you guys are working on DoD contracts mainly because you're pulling in people from the DOD who actually know what that space is like. So they have that huge competency. Right. I'm doing the same Absolutely. thing. And so, yeah, I think there is a natural progression for, you know, companies like horizon strategies. I want to like say that every time, um, to say like, yeah, horizon strategies yeah. say it three times fast, but like, um, I, I think it's smart and I think it's smart to work together. I just talked about that with Craig. I think it's, I think it's yeah. sm smart for the, the field in general to say, Hey, we the if the problem is helping people, if you can't help people through your own capacity, it is why is wise to pull in everybody else because it's just a it's just a value yeah, added. Absolutely. For sure. Well, I think you also mentioned something interesting and in like that you you have like a uh, gosh, how did you say? I want to say like a niche. Like you you have a specific area of expertise within the EDM sector too, that you kind of want to hone in on and not just put butts and seats. And I think that's really huge for small businesses to think too. Um, and at some point, like you do have to have the contract and get butts and seats, right? But yeah. having a purposeful plan to what you pursue for work 
I think is really important for a company to have. And I also think that it gains you credibility in a specific space, right? Instead of you trying to master all that is EDM, you say like, we are going to master this piece and we are going to be the go-to experts for this piece. And yeah. I think that that's a really huge aspect of gaining credibility in a, in a pretty diverse um, industry. The, the problem is I am a master at all things emergency and oh, disaster management. <laughs> hey, my wife would agree with that. She's like, hey, you talk about it way too much. Let me do literally everything else to make sure we don't die. Like it's the problem when like a friend comes over who does like the same field and she just like, she has to sit there with like whoever else and just like, oh, I hate this. Cause like, oh, that's all we talk about. Right. That's all you talk about. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it, it's okay. life. Yeah. So networking, networking. networking. <laughs> absolutely. And it's just like the passions there too. Right. Business so development is all day, every day, John. It is. That's life. All right. So, okay. The, the question, the last question I have for you, it's the same question we pretty much ask everybody. Knowing your experiences, coming from your specific ex- perspective, right? What is one thing you would change and about emergency and disaster management? I will return to my Georgetown days for this one and say um, something relevant to my capstone project, which was immediate response authority. Um, I think the EDM community, specifically civilian authorities need to really learn how to capitalize on immediate response authority. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully most of your listeners know what that is, but it's basically uh, very local officials being able to call up a military installation in the area and saying, hey, I have, I think I, I wrote down here the categories, like we need to save lives, prevent human suffering, or mitigate great property damage. And in order to do that, we're going to immediately ask for your activation to do that, right? Um, and I think that that is a huge lesson and a huge mm-hmm. asset to local and state authorities who may not either A, have a National Guard or the right National Guard asset, not a National Guard, but not the right National Guard assets in their state, um, or mm-hmm. they don't have time to go through the channels to get the approval to send units um, intentionally. Uh, so yeah. there is that immediate response authority that's open to them. I just don't think that we have advertised that in the right ways within the military community. So Definitely that was not. my big capstone was like, hey, how do we train people to know about this? And how do we also train like military people to know that this is a possibility, right? And I, I think my my passion for it stemmed from the fact that the unit I joined in um, my last active duty unit was 4th Cab in uh Combat Aviation Brigade in Fort Carson, Colorado. Mm. And that right after, right before I got there in uh, fall of 2013, they had used immediate response authority to respond to the Boulder floods mm. and the Black Forest fire. And through that authority being capitalized on, we were able to save thousands of lives and evacuate all these people that we wouldn't have been able to had we, had we waited on the That's official awesome. channel to get it done. So anyway, I would say go and do some research on IRA and uh, figure out how you can use it when disaster strikes. <laughs> wow. Talk about mic drop when the disaster strikes. Wait, I should do some more music. Oh man, this is... There you go. I don't know. Okay. So, um, hey, I have to ask another question because uh, I've had a few Georgetown people on here. What was your... This rapid fire, just real quick. What was your... Who was your favorite professor? And what was your 
we'll keep it positive. What was your best experience at Georgetown? I would say my favorite professor is the British one who you had on the show. Can't even remember his Jeez, name. Jeez, memory. Steve Johnson. Yep. Um, I will say most of that year is in the way back of my head because I was pregnant <laughs> Pregnancy. and just trying to get through class before I had a baby. Yeah. Um, and my best experience, gosh, I really enjoyed our trip to Louisiana. Mm. Um, yeah, that was a good time. I think, I think all of those trips were just really fascinating because we were able to, I think that one was the best, honestly, because we were really able to go down, talk to people who had been there. Um, we hit the hurricane and we hit um, the BP oil spill. So I think that, that was a really powerful experience. But um, yeah. And meeting you, John. Is that what I was, I was that was supposed to, to be the right. I was kind of hurt by that. I was like, oh, I thought it was meeting me. But no, I mean, Sorry. that's that's okay. I'm just crying <laughs> inside. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk about disaster. Okay. So uh, that's interesting. Yeah. I would say Louisiana really stood out. Obviously, California stood out. That's where I got the job with FEMA. That's, yeah. By the way, thank you. Did you know that it was because of you? It is not. I did not know that. Yeah. You and Blake. Blake kind of died, so I don't know what happened to Blake. And hopefully, oh, yeah. I hope he didn't actually die, but you, the three of us were looking at the uh, communication systems, the Gator specifically, outside. And I said, everyone was so happy they didn't have to do anything with GIS on that uh, that trip. And I said, yep. GIS is the future of emergency management. And then tap, 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 right on my shoulder, turn around, Rodney Melsick, who I didn't know who it was, turns out to be the most famous planner in the world, literally, says, I would like to see you in my office right now. And I turned around and I actually grabbed... Yep, I got a job. I actually grabbed Chris because I knew he really wanted a job on the team. I felt kind of bad because I was happy with my job in DC. So he got an interview. Chris got an interview with ops. I I went to uh, interview with uh, uh, with planning, and I got a job out of it. So thank That's you awesome. for uh, oh, you're not not liking GIS. <laughs> now we're even because I brought you on the show. But uh, yeah, seriously. Hey, thank you so much for coming on to the show for talking to me. Of Thanks for having me. Yeah, really great experiences. Everybody, you you really should take what she 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 had to offer here. Talking about leadership and the importance of leadership, talking about the trans the law of transferability. We kind of got into that a little bit. Talking about um just like prioritization. Like we kind of like didn't really use that word, but we talked a lot about how to prioritize the three steps that she provided, not just with mentorship, but formal education and, and all those things that you should be adding there. So if you found her advice valuable, you should have. I definitely endorse it. You need to give us that five-star rating and subscribe to our channel. Of course, you can learn more about Margaret. We're going to be posting a little bit more about her on our main page for the show, Disaster Tough Podcast on Instagram. We also post on LinkedIn for the Doberman Emergency Management Group and on Facebook for both companies or for both entities rather. Um, so you can check us out there. You can send us an email. We get lots of emails and we love it. But we want to see those questions on, again, Instagram if we can. But if you want to send us an email, whether to work with us or Horizon Strategies or whatever, you can send us an email at info at DobermanEMG.com. We will put Horizon Strategies, if you want to specifically work with somebody with a DoD background, in uh, our show notes. So we'll just do that as a complimentary thing. We didn't get paid by them or anything, but... Uh, just say thank you, Margaret, for coming onto the show, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>